But when you become a follower of Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, it is not just a simply a private acknowledgement in your mind, something that you say, right, I now trust in Jesus. Actually, it is, um, it is something that is a total change, a total change in priority. Your life is turned upside down. Instead of living for ourselves and living for our wants, we want to live for Jesus and what he wants. So our passions, our priorities, our whole worldview is transformed because of how God has worked in our lives. And now, as you look through history, there are times in history where large numbers of people come together and trust in Jesus. And when that happens, it has a profound effect on the culture and on the community where it happens. So we know that in Wales, in 1904, for example, lots of people started trusting in Jesus. Lots of people started following him. And as a result, there were changes in our society. So the magistrates would come into court and there would be no cases for them to deal with because crime rates dropped. Long-standing debts and arguments were resolved. It's said that the pit ponies working down the pits didn't understand their, uh, the men who were working with them anymore because their language, instead of being uh, using bad language or foul language, now wasn't using that. And so the pit ponies didn't understand them and weren't listening to them. And there was a big change as the message of God's grace went out. Lives changed and the community changed. We see it in Belfast as well in Northern Ireland. A man called W.P. Nicholson would go around and preach. And lots of people were trusting in Jesus. And many men accepted Christ and they started to be convicted of the things that they'd stolen while they were in work. They just felt this was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And so they, had to, they were bringing back all the things things that they'd taken from work and so in so much so they had to make an announcement in the shipyards the authorities had to say will all those attending meetings by D mr wp nicholson please stop returning stolen goods we have nowhere to store them so they had to build a new shed which they called the nicholson shed to house these stolen goods uh, because so many people were turning to jesus and realizing what they'd done in the past was wrong and they wanted to make it right you know, when one person becomes a Christian, their life is turned upside down. But when that happens in numbers, suddenly that has a big impact. And we pray, don't we, that God does that again. We long to see that, that God moves in power. But in this chapter in Ephesus, do you see what happens? People start trusting in Jesus. And it's not just in uh, ones and twos, but a big group of people. So much so that by the end of the chapter, it has got an impact on the whole city. And they can't be ignored. Now, Ephesus, just to let you know a bit about the, the, the city, was a very important commercial city. And um, it was important commercially, so there's lots of businesses that went on there, but as well, it was very important for uh, paid, pagan religious people and for cult practices. So it was a very spiritual city. We read here about the, uh, in this uh, passage that we read, about the Temple of Artemis, or maybe in your version it says Diana. And this is the, uh, this massive temple, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, and that people would travel from all over the world to see and come and worship this goddess Diana or Artemis. And because people would travel from so far over to come and worship this goddess, then they would make money from people coming. So they would buy these silver statues of the goddess Diana, and that would bring in trade to the city. So that brought the, the temple was a big, significant economic part of the city. So do you see, in this passage, there's a big uproar, isn't there? Verses 23 down to uh, 41. Why is there a big uproar? 
Well, verse 25, we see the unions come together, don't they? All the workers say, come on, something's changed here. Our businesses are, um, are struggling. Why are they struggling? Well, they tell us. This Paul has come, and he has persuaded and turned a lot of people away from this goddess Diana. Instead of worshipping her, he's telling them that, the, that she's not real and that she's a false god. And because of that, people aren't buying our goods. And so there was this massive uproar. So they all gather into this theatre in verse 29. And they, they went together and um, they were crying out to verse 28, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they were enraged. Now, the size of where they met would have held about 25,000 people, all angry and furious at Paul. What are they angry about? Well, verse 32, they're not really sure. Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them didn't know why they'd come together. They're going, I'm angry and I don't know why. Sounds like today, doesn't it? A lot of people just angry and we don't really know why. But this is what they were in confusion. They were in a mess and they were furious. There's a big uproar because so many people had turned to Jesus. So many people had accepted the message of God's grace. So I want to ask, as we look at this passage, how? What led up to that point where the city took notice of these new Christians? What happened? How did God work? How did God move? And for us to, as we ask that question, to pray through, well, how could we be on the lookout for God to move in power here? What would that look like? What happens when God moves in power? Well, the first thing, four, uh, five things for us to look at in this passage. The first thing is preparation. God goes before preparation. So Paul, we meet Paul in verse 1, and Paul hasn't been to Ephesus before. This is his first time there. And so when he gets there, he realizes there's some people who he calls disciples. See that in verse 1? There he found some disciples. And as he was teaching the disciples, he, he asked them, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, the, the teaching on the Holy Spirit, which we'll see in Ephesians chapter 2, is that we can't believe or trust in Jesus without God helping us. Spiritually, we're helpless without God giving us spiritual life. And how does he give us spiritual life? By his Holy Spirit. So if you haven't got the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, uh, and the only reason we trust in Jesus is because he has given us the Holy Spirit. So he's asking these, Christ these, these disciples, sorry, have you had the Holy Spirit? And he said, we didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Well, um, at this point, Paul is really starting to wonder now. And he says, look, um, that means you haven't heard it from any of the apostles because the apostles knew about the Holy Spirit. So where did they hear this from? How have you heard? Well, look at verse 3. Into what do you baptize? They said, into John's baptism. Now, John the Baptist. Now, what did John the Baptist preach? Well, Paul tells us, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. So John was there saying, look, there's a Messiah coming. And when he comes, put your trust in him. He's the one who will uh, give you life. He is the one who can save. So here are these people waiting for the Messiah. They had, didn't know that Jesus had come. They didn't know that Jesus had died and rose again. They didn't know that he had sent his spirit. So they'd only heard half a message. They hadn't heard that Jesus had already come. So they were still waiting. They were looking from the outside, as it were. So they hadn't even heard of Pentecost. They hadn't heard about the Spirit coming. Now, Paul obviously tells them about Jesus. At the end of verse 4, he says, um, 
I need to tell you about the one who's come. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And as a result, verse 6 then, the Spirit comes. Verse 7 tells us there are about 12 men. Now, this is a, a big, significant moment because it's, so, it's like a mini Pentecost. In Pentecost, remember what happens? The apostles were there, 12 men who God empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they went out speaking in these tongues, in these languages that people were listening, saying, I can understand you in my language. This is amazing. It was God's way of saying, look, now the message needs to go out to the whole world. And so here are these people in Ephesus, these non-Jews. They were waiting for this um, this messiah they haven't really known they didn't know that jesus had come so they weren't really christians they weren't trusting yet and then they become christians then they trust in jesus and then they have the spirit so it's a mini pentecost say right now go go and share this message with others so um just as a, a, a little aside sometimes people turn to this passage and say um if you're a christian you need to be baptized in the spirit that's what they would talk about from this passage but I'd like to say, no, look, they weren't even Christians in the first place. These are people receiving the Spirit for the first time. So um, when, when it comes to us uh, thinking about receiving the Spirit, every Christian, if you trust in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. Everybody. We all have the Spirit. And without the Spirit, we wouldn't believe and we wouldn't know and trust in Jesus. So do we seek a second blessing or a filling of the Spirit, as some Christians might say? Well, in Ephesians 1, we're going to see every believer has the Holy Spirit. It's our guarantee of eternal life. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have everlasting life. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And so there, there he comes and um, he's telling Christians who have already been filled with the Spirit, be filled. And it's a continuous thing. Keep on being filled. So we're always to be looking for more of the Spirit, always to be looking for more power from God. So this isn't just about a second baptism. This is about a third baptism, fourth baptism, fifth baptism in the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's what we need to be seeking, and we'll, we'll see that in Ephesians. But the wonderful thing to note here, uh, if we look at what is happening, it is that God had already gone before Paul to Ephesus. Do we see that? Paul arrives in Ephesus, and God had gone before him. God was doing a work in people's lives. Yes, they hadn't quite heard the whole message yet. They hadn't put their trust in Jesus. But what is happening? God was working and God had gone before them. Now, I, that should encourage us this morning. We can feel so intimidated, can't we, as a church? We think we've got this great message of Jesus Christ, a message of hope that everybody needs to hear. And we look out at our valley and people don't seem to care or people don't seem to want to know. Or our friends and family, we've tried to share and they said, oh, I, I don't want to know. And we might be overwhelmed by the task of thinking how many people we want to share the gospel with. But if we believe that God is in control, if we believe that God um, works ahead of us, that should give us courage as we look out. Who is God working in? Just below the surface. What is going on in people's lives and minds and hearts? We don't know, but God is working. You could be the next piece of the puzzle, as it were, to pointing people towards Jesus, and God has started a work in them years before. I remember hearing the testimony of an atheist and he became a Christian and in his testimony three things happened that nobody would have known about around. He watched a film and the meaning of the film or the, the, the feel of this film just left him feeling totally empty. He just felt uh, empty after watching it, just, just hopeless. And it started to make him think, is there more to life? The other thing that happened was he saw this glorious view. 
he saw this kind of um, vista, you know, and just thought, wow, this can't be an accident. No more than that, but just a film that made him feel empty, a view that made him think there must be more than this. And the other thing that happened was he saw a friend become a Christian and his life totally changed. And those things together, God was using to work in his life. Now, would anybody know what was happening? Would anybody else know that he'd watched that film to make him feel empty or seen that view to make him think, hang on, is there more to like, or is, you know, surely this isn't an accident. No, but God was working. So what we need to take from here is this encouragement. We don't know how God is working in people's hearts just below the surface. We don't know what's going on in people's minds and in their lives. So pray, be bold, pray for opportunities to share. God is at work. God goes before us. And let's pray for the excitement of hearing how God has prepared somebody's heart just to be able to hear about Jesus. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've been brought to that point. You're not a Christian yet and you're thinking these things through and things have worked in your life and you can see certain events that have happened in your life and now you're starting to piece it together and it's brought you to this point where you're thinking, you know, I think I'm ready to believe. Don't put it off. Trust. And God, by his spirit, can make you trust in Jesus and help you to trust and follow him. So this morning, God goes before us. God moves in power. So the first thing here, how did God move in power in Ephesus? There was preparation, firstly. Secondly, there was patience. Um, Paul patiently sharing the news with people. Now, in the book of Acts, it's a very exciting book to read. Uh, It is uh, loads of activity, loads of... um, Uh, loads of excitement there's prison there's escapes there's riots as we see here it's all happens but when we go to watch paul on his travels around he does the same thing everywhere he goes first of all he tries to find uh, the synagogue because he wants to tell the the jews there the messiah has come so he goes to the synagogue and he wants to talk to them wants to say look do you have you heard that the messiah has come and they might go to one place and they'd be like, oh, no, we haven't heard that. So he tells them, look, Jesus is the Messiah. Let me show you why he's the Messiah. Let me show you how he fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament and he'd talk there. And that's what we see here. Look at verse 8. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And what happened after that? Verse 9. Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. So what happened then? He moved to the hall of Tyrannus in verse end of verse 9. And he continued there for two years, and so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So he speaks to the Jews first, and and some of them believe, but others just turn against him. So he then moves to this public lecture hall, and he's there for two years. Some of the ancient texts say specifically that he was there from 11 till 4, so five hours a day, every day. Now think of what that shows us about what was going on behind this uh, move of God in Ephesus. Wasn't there real patience from Paul in his evangelism, in his sharing the gospel? Three months in one place, two years in the other, day after day, talking to people about Jesus. So this wasn't an overnight thing. This is a prayerful, patient, daily sharing. Exhausting, no doubt. We know that people... Um, came and went from Ephesus. It was a place where lots of people traveled to. We know that verse 10, all the residents heard. Now, could it be that some people believed and then went and planted the church somewhere else? We know something like that happened in Colossae. 
you know, from this hub, lots of places were being touched by the gospel. So as we think about wanting God to move and people to want to hear about Jesus, we need to have this kind of patience. It's not a quick thing, it's not an overnight thing. We need to help people and pray for people and take people through uh, what the gospel means and what the Bible says. But he wasn't just in patience in that way, he was flexible as well, wasn't he? He changes what he does. He went from this religious place, the synagogue, to this neutral place, and he reached even more people. He was flexible in how he did it. He said, oh, no, I only do it in the synagogue. No, no, no. He, said, he looked, oh, there's a hole here. Let's use that. Whatever it takes so that people can hear the gospel. And he, he preached, we see in, um, uh, in this passage, but as well, we're told in verse 9, he reasoned. So there was dialogue. There was discussion. So the message didn't change, but the location and the method did. He, he was thinking, right, I want to get this message across. How can I do it? And verse 10 tells us what this was all about. He continued there so that all the residents heard the word of the Lord, Jews and Greeks. So as we're praying for the gospel to get out, don't we need to have this flexibility as well? To be praying, Lord, we want to do whatever it takes so that people can hear the word of the Lord. That might mean that we have to have a meeting that isn't in the church building. You know, we use somewhere else, like we did with Cafe Church, and think, where could we use that people would come so that we can talk to them about the gospel? Think these things through and to pray. You know, we're going forward thinking after COVID, and we're hopefully looking at um, things changing soon, aren't we? How can we use and what can we learn over these past few years? What do we need to do differently now? post-COVID. Some things are going to stay the same, aren't they? People are going to be struggling to get out, maybe, or what can we do? And we need to pray going through forward that we are flexible in how we do this. But as well, look how Paul goes about it patiently. He does it in this flexible way, but also he engages with people. We don't really know what he said in those, in those meetings in the hall, in Tyrannus or in the synagogue, but verse 26 gives us a clue, because it tells us that Paul is here and he's persuaded people that uh, these gods made with hands are not gods. So he is looking at what people believe, and he is dealing with that, isn't he? He's saying, look, what you're believing isn't true. Look, if you have to make something with your own hands, there's a bit of a clue there that that isn't real. You can't worship a piece of metal that you have created. So Paul is in Ephesus. He's looking around at what people are worshiping. He's looking around at what makes people tick, as it were, and he deals with that and shows them how God is better, how God is real and they are not. So he's confronting people and their idols. So when it comes to us sharing the gospel, do we know what people are believing? Not just, oh, people say they believe this. Do we really know what people are trusting in? Have we had conversations with people to say, what is it you believe? What do you believe about life and death and the purpose of life? What do you believe about God? Are we engaging with people? Are we listening to people? Um, Francis Schaeffer said, uh, who's a famous apologist and evangelist uh, and teacher, said, um, if you had one hour to share the gospel, somebody asked him, what would you do? One hour to tell somebody about Jesus, what would you do? He said, I'd listen for 55 minutes, and then uh, for five minutes I might have something meaningful to say at the end. It's interesting, isn't it, the perspective. 55 minutes listening, five minutes talking. Is that the ratio that we think of? Paul listens, and then he's able to say, look, the God you're worshipping is wrong. Let me tell you about a greater God, a true God. Now, maybe this morning, you are here, and you're not trusting in Jesus. And 
um, you realize that there's some truth to this. What is it you're trusting in now? Because the Bible tells us that we all worship something. You are worshiping something. You're turning to something for your hope and your joy and your meaning and your purpose. And Jesus wants to show us this morning, look, anything but me is false. Turn to him. Turn to me, Jesus says, and follow me. Now, as we look at God move in Ephesus, there's, there's preparation, isn't there? There is um, patience. And the next three are very brief, so um, don't worry, we'll move a bit faster now. The, the third thing is the presence, the presence of Jesus. Because we see the amazing power of Jesus here. We're told, aren't we, that um, in verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and they were healed. Now, notice it's really important to see this. Extraordinary miracles were being done. This wasn't normal back then. They weren't thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we always have hankies around and we dish them out and do miracles. So sometimes we do see that on maybe the God channel or channels like that. You know, you see people who are selling miracle hankies. We need to be aware that isn't something normal. This is extraordinary in the time of the apostles. Okay, so be wary of things like that. But here he is, he's doing these amazing miracles. And what is going on? Why is this happening? Well, throughout the book of Acts, we see miracles are used for this purpose. They authenticate the apostles. They show the message they are saying is the same message of Jesus. Because the miracles they do are the miracles that Jesus was doing. Remember the lady who touched the, the hem of Jesus' garment? What happened to her? She was healed. And they would think, hang on, these are the kind of miracles that, that Jesus did. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't do miracles today. Of course not. God, we've been thinking, he's almighty. He can do whatever he wants. He can do anything. But we have a God here who is using these miracles for a specific purpose at this time to show these apostles were followers of Jesus. So the miracles they do are miracles like Jesus did. That's the idea. He is a God of power. He is a God um, who is near to Paul and showing them so that people would look at them and go, that's just like Jesus. That's the idea. And the power here we see, we see the real power that comes with Jesus. Look at verse 13. And you see this, this little skirmish that happens between these Jewish exorcists. They, want this na- they hear the name of Jesus, say, oh, let's just use the name of Jesus then. So they say, um, I adjure you by the name of Jesus to cast out this Holy Spirit. And this, the Spirit says, well, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but, but who are you? I don't know you. See, they're just using the name of Jesus like a, uh, like a superstitious kind of thing. But that's not right. No, you need to know Jesus. You need to know his presence and need to know him personally. So these sons of Sceva didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They weren't really trusting in him. They were just using him to get what they wanted. They turned him into a formula. Now, we've got to be careful, haven't we, that we don't turn Jesus into a formula. Have you ever thought, if I just do this and I do that, then I'll, I'll get God's blessing? Or if I use Jesus this week, then I'll have a good week? We can just turn Jesus into a formula. If I read, if I pray, if I go to church, then God will give me what I want. No, what we need is a real relationship with Jesus. To know his nearness, to talk to him, to spend time with him, to pray to him, to love him, to serve him. So it's about a relationship with Jesus. The presence of Jesus was with Paul. The Acts, the book of Acts, is how Jesus worked through the apostles from his throne in heaven. That's why it starts with the, um, the ascension. 
Jesus is still working through his church and it's the same with us today. It's about a relationship with him. Do people look at us and say they've been with Jesus? They have, a, they have that kind of aroma of Christ about them. That's the prayer and that only happens if we spend time with Jesus, if we get to know him and live for him. So it's not just about saying the right words. It's not just about having a formula. If we do this, 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 then you get revival. Or this, 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 then this happens. No, it's about a real walking with Jesus daily, day by day. So we see the, uh, in this passage, we're seeing the preparation God went before. We're seeing this patience that Paul kept on preaching day after day. We see there's the presence and nearness of Jesus. But then comes persecution. How does God move in power? Well, isn't it surprising to see here that there's persecution? Jesus is on the move, as it were. He is saving people, and people are taking notice, and because of that, there's this opposition. And it's a spiritual opposition, isn't it? Lots of dark things happen in Ephesus. That's why we have um, evil spirits coming up and uh, exorcists appearing. They worship this goddess that was false, and um, all of this is happening. So there's a very spiritual place. There's a lot of witchcraft and occult stuff going on, and they were aware in Ephesus of the spiritual realm very aware they lived with it they saw it and when it comes to the ephesians when it comes to the book of ephesians doesn't that make sense because paul talks about it doesn't he he talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers of darkness against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places paul knows that in ephesus they were dealing with spiritual realities we think, don't we, that the world is just what we see. And we think we're very advanced for thinking like that. But the Bible says, no, there's a world that we can't see. Another realm that we need to be aware of that makes sense of so much more of what's going on in this world. And Paul was aware of that. And this opposition shows that that was happening because Jesus is moving and there is an attack against the church. When we... Um, are aware of God moving, we need to be aware of the spiritual realm as well. We're not battling just against flesh and blood. That's why at the end of Ephesians, he talks about the, the armor of God that we're going to look at in however long it takes us to get there. Because there's a battle. There are spiritual realities. So if we pray for Jesus to be on the move, if Jesus to work amongst us, we need to be ready for persecution, ready for opposition. We don't go looking for it and deliberately offending people to get it, but when we see blessing, that will come. Because we have an enemy who hates Jesus. The devil hates Jesus and he hates Christians. He hates people following him. That is why there is this, always this battle going on with the Christian, in the Christian life. There is an opposition, there is persecution. So preparation, God has gone before. Presence, the nearness of Jesus. Persecution and opposition that we see coming as well. But the last thing is this we see power through true repentance. So the people are hearing about the power of Jesus. There's hankies, there's exorcists. Jesus was becoming a reality in this place. And the believers started to see what it meant to follow Jesus. And they saw, actually, Jesus is true, and what I followed before was a lie. So what did they do? They brought all the things that they had in their lives before, books about magical arts and occult practices and things like that. And verse 19, we're told, they practiced these magic arts, they brought them forward, and they burned these books in the sight of all. And they counted the value of it. In today's value, it's about two and a half, three million pounds. So all of this stuff that would have been very 
pricey, they said, Jesus is worth it. And they threw it out. I don't want that life anymore. I'm now living for Jesus. So when they started to do that, we see after they burnt that, verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See, they turned away from their old life. They started to obey Jesus. They knew his nearness, his presence, and the gospel exploded, as it were. Now, can you see how that applies to us as we close? This was a life, they repented from their old life. They turned from their old ways and followed Jesus. What do we need to do in our life? Uh, to turn from the way we were living, to turn to Jesus. The Christian life is one of continual repentance, not just a one-off repentance, but every day saying, Lord, I'm sorry, help me to live for you. What is it that you need to get rid of that causes you to stumble? What is it that you need to say, actually, I, Jesus is better, I don't want that, let's burn it. Maybe not literally burn it, or put it in the bin, or stop doing it, you know, we need to, what is it that, that you, uh, you feel God putting his finger on to say, I need to stop that, it's just not helpful. And then we see that real repentance leads to this real power. Because when we stumble and fall, it saps us of our spiritual power, doesn't it? But here they knew Jesus helping him. So what's holding you back? What's holding us back as a church? Is there anything you've been too afraid to kind of let go of, as it were? A sin or an attitude or a behavior that God puts his finger on. How did they do this? How could they get rid of them and burn this stuff that was worth so much money? Because Jesus, they saw, was better. Jesus was more superior to what they were trusting in before. Do you believe that Jesus is better than whatever it is that you think uh, that you've turned away from? Do you truly believe that he is? That's the only way that we'll be willing to give it up and, and to live for him. Because what happens is we end up thinking these things or whatever will give us what only Jesus can. But Jesus satisfies his love. He is for us. And we pray, don't we, that we would see him as all glorious and our past and previous life as empty compared to him. Now, if you're in doubt of how good Jesus is and how much he loves you and how much he is worth giving up everything for, notice and remember what Jesus did for us. He is worth giving up everything for because he gave up everything for you. He gave it all up. He gave up the glory of heaven, the praise of the angels. He gave of himself. And because of that, we can then say, Lord, as you've put um, me before you, I can put you before me. Help me to live for you, Lord Jesus. We need to be serious with things in our life and sin in our life and put it to death at these things that don't please Jesus. And if we want Jesus to work, we must love what he loves and walk the way he walks and hate what he hates. That's where power comes uh, when we live for him. So Ephesus was turned upside down by uh, by the power of the gospel, wasn't it? How is our valley going to be changed? How are we going to see a great move of God? Well, let's pray that we'd remember that God goes before, he prepares people's hearts. Let's patiently keep sharing the gospel, not just waiting from a zap from above, as it were, say we'll just wait until that. No, we patiently share the gospel and think of different ways to do that. We pray for the presence of Jesus to be with us, that people would look at us and say, that reminds me of Christ that we would pray that as the opposition comes and the persecution comes, that we would remain faithful and that we would know power as we live lives of true repentance, living for Christ, Jesus being better. Let's pray that uh, as we look to the book of Ephesians, we would know something with the power of God working among us and people trusting in him. Let's pray as we, uh, before we sing our last hymn.
Lord, there is so much in this passage uh, that is exciting, so much that uh, shows your greatness again and your power, but as well, Lord, there's so much that challenges us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on these words, as we reflect on your work in Ephesus, we pray, please, that you would use us and that we would see something glorious happen here in my state, that people would be saved, that people and this community would be turned upside down by lives turning and trusting in Jesus. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.